What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a foot in Arsenal. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fans. Welcome to the What The Footy podcast, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Today, I'm joined by Charlotte Mills. Charlotte is a social media expert who has spent uh, her career working at places like IMG to, to working on Rio 2016. And she's currently working within the FA, so I thought it would be great to get her on to speak about the world of social media and how it's crossing over uh, with football as well as two of the properties that she's currently working on, which is the FA Cup and the, the Women's Super League. Great to have you here, Charlotte. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, so we've obviously added a new segment into the podcast called What the Footy Are You Lying For? Why lying for? So could you take me away with your two truths, one lie, please? Of course. So mine is a mixture of Olympic things and things that have happened recently in my, my new start at the FA. So... First of all, my first meeting with Gareth Southgate at the office and I just yawned at him hello instead of a nice normal greeting, rather embarrassing. Um, in Rio, I ended up picking up Adam Peaty and a whole bunch of Team GB swimmers on the side of the road in, in Rio, just walking down the street. Or. Usain Bolt let me wear all his medals in, in Rio 2016. Oh, you're giving me three really tough ones. Oh. <laughs> um. <sighs> the Adam Peaty one seems believable. <sighs> Why would Usain Bolt let you wear his medals? Um, nice <laughs> I'm gonna go. The truth is, Adam Peaty, and that you picked him up in the swimmers. But then, why would you be yawning hello at Gareth? Maybe he caught you by surprise. Who knows? Um, oh, Usain Bolt let you wear his medals. Oh, where would you have met Usain though? Well, honestly, it's probably the hardest one I've had so far. Um, I'm going to say the light is yawned at Gareth Southgate and somehow in some sort of universe, Usain Bolt let you wear his medals. But yeah, we're going to find that obviously in part part two. But just, just sort of getting into it really, I think over the last sort of 10 years or so, we've seen the crossover of social media and football, obviously, not every single fan can go to the games and we've seen it almost explode in terms of his face if you look at Twitter or Instagram pre and post match the conversations that, that people have having sort of in your journey within sport how, how have you sort of seen this transition over time to, to sport uh, coming online more? It's been it's been quite a, a wild ride I would say because mm. all of a sudden social media is part of our lives and it's not just a part or for me, it's been my whole career. 
Um, so it's this huge element within the world now. And just watching how sport has adopted it, as how some sports have made their fame from it. Talking about UFC, and then you could look at some who have been sort of maybe slower to the pickup, maybe like a Man United, who are quite traditional, they're quite slow to pick it up, but now obviously are one of the biggest social media brands in the world. Um, I just think the more interesting bit is obviously we've got brands and stuff doing their thing, but it's now getting to the bit where players and sports people feel comfortable about sharing their inner lives and not just how they are on the pitch and how they prepare for that, but their actual personal lives. And I think that window into athletes is obviously we've never, we've never had it before. Mm. I think that's just quite an interesting turn and, and where that's going to go and how it's going to improve is, is definitely it's definitely an interesting one to keep an eye on. I think I think the point you mentioned there is quite fascinating because it's almost like we've seen a thing now whereby the the individual athletes, especially in a sports like a sport like football, because football isn't like a player a player based sport like the NBA for instance, where you follow like LeBron for instance or something like that. And it's almost like we're seeing individual players being followed more closely than than the actual clubs itself. So like even Cristiano Ronaldo has more followers than Real Madrid and Barcelona combined on social media. And and it's really a question there of how how can we almost cultivate more of that? Because players do feel obviously sharing uh, about themselves on social media, for instance, like you put something out there and it's like, like for example, Marcus Rashford with all the stuff that he was doing, suddenly he's not scoring goals on the pitch and everyone's talking about he's a politician off the pitch. It's a case of how do you almost really balance the two and still increase fan engagement, but also still deliver on the pitch so that the fans don't crucify you. Yeah, I think you've made an excellent point where, especially now during the whole COVID era, mm. it's completely switched on. Not only do you need to represent yourself as a, a, a brand of a footballer and a member of a certain team and, and a player of a certain team, but Marcus Rashford going way beyond that and using his platform now to literally change lives. Like, there's no other way to describe that. And when, you know, if they have the biggest platforms in the world, they're followed by hundreds and thousands, millions of people across the globe. And to use their platform to actually make change in the world, that's quite a powerful statement. Mm. I mean, some some won't, some don't. That's obviously a clear personal choice for them and, and it's it's completely up to them. And I think that's probably what they would struggle with maybe is that balance of being this thing outside and making sure that that doesn't impact their, their play on the pitch. It would be a huge balance of yeah. making sure they get that right. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think the interesting thing, obviously, that's quite a common probably word in, within the sort of field that you work in is the whole idea of a fan engagement and, and almost the question of how can we continue to bring fans closer to the game? Because as, as we can obviously see within this sort of period of COVID, uh, there's a heavy reliance in football in terms of uh, of live content. How can we continue to deliver value um, to, to fans, especially those who, who can't get access to, to coming to the games as well? Very good question. It's something that we definitely talk a lot about. Um, I think 
To me, the most powerful point of, of social is is that story, storytelling aspect. That's the bit that I try to, to really focus on and make sure those stories that we're all interested in doesn't have to come from the players and the clubs. The fans have really impactful stories themselves. And it's just making sure that we can collect those stories and just tell them in the most authentic way. And I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? Of, you know, people feeling connected to something. That's why social media has taken off as it is. It, it brings us closer together. And that closeness comes from these stories. So whether that's telling the story of the team doctor, to the referees, to the physio, to the fans, you know, a good example of this was, I think it was Bleacher Report and their celebration video of Liverpool winning the title. Mm. Um, and they had that animation of the families growing older um, and the, the dads taking their, their child to the game and yeah. getting older. and. Like until they finally won the title yeah and they finally won it and i just thought that was such an amazing video because that, that really that is mm. it that is yeah. it isn't it like you go on for so long waiting for it to finally happen and it does and the whole world's changed while whilst we've been waiting it's that I thought was very powerful and, and I think for me, in terms of the sort of stuff that you mentioned there, part of the reason why I actually set up this podcast is because I felt as though there was a disconnect between the clubs themselves and the actual fans in terms of the insight and transparency to what goes on actually uh, within clubs. And, and I think someone like yourself supporting West Ham, and I'm an Arsenal fan as well, we see how far removed our owners are from the actual uh, actual clubs and maybe even you get more insight because you've got Sullivan and Golden tweet, <laughs> tweeting all the time. How do you how do you almost see the evolution of social media in this sort of next wave as we really push on? Do, do you almost see a thing whereby there's like conversations and threads going on more between owners on social media and fans? Do you see a way in which fans get more involved and closer to the game? Like we're seeing like there are clubs out there that actually exist whereby fans actually online make the decisions into what happens during the game. What what sort of trends do you really see um, driving really fan engagement? I think that's a very good question. I think I think it all depends on the personality of the owners. Obviously West Ham do get that insight. Um, which is quite fascinating because it often doesn't reflect how the fans genuinely feel. Mm. Um, even though you see where they're taking the club, that's not where the fans would want to take the club. So maybe perhaps in the future, there is something there where the fans are actually being heard and those things can be taken in consideration to do something with it. Um, I mean, the smaller clubs down, down the football pyramid, I, I would imagine that could that could actually genuinely happen, I would imagine, like at one point not saying now, tomorrow, or in the next few years, but those ideas of fans sort of having more ownership of a club and being able to have those sort of conversations online on a free platform for everyone to join in, it could happen. Um, I'd be very shocked to see anything happen like that on a bigger club, on a bigger scale, of course, with all the money and the different tangles that that comes with. Yeah, it's crazy, because even, even Germany, they get more insight due to their sort of model of the, of the yeah. sort of 50 plus one sort of obviously granted that's not online it's more offline but definitely more needs to happen within the Premier League I, I definitely believe I think the thing that would push it would be would be the restrictions that we had now 
yeah, I mean, bigger fan forums online, whether that behind like a, a wall or something for people to sign up in, be interesting. But that would mean then you could have a global fan forum from fans from all over the world to have an input into the club. And I mean, that would be quite interesting to hear, to see if any clubs do do that actually, and how much of an impact it would have. So you've obviously spoken about the good aspects of social media and how it can obviously bring fans closer to the game and engage them more, but let's speak a little bit about the, the bad side of it that we get, maybe sides that you might might even see yourself, because obviously we've seen in the last obviously couple of weeks in terms of trolling and players being personally being targeted. How, how do we almost sort of cultivate and remove that within, within the game? Because me personally, I believe that more dialogue needs to be had with the social media networks in terms of regulating the platforms. I agree with Harry Maguire with what he said a while back in terms of actually needing to have a form of ID, like a passport to actually be on these sort of networks. But how do we almost make it a, a place whereby it's still safe to discuss these issues, but do it in a way whereby it's still respectful and but yet still meaningful and impactful? Yeah, definitely. I think Definitely of late, it's been quite apparent that the, the social media networks aren't quite up to the task to, to tackle the problems that they do have on the platform um, in the form of trolling and people just generally be just being horrible to each other. Um, I th the networks do need to, to step up personally, I think. Um, if you, I don't know if you ever have, but if you sort of go to the steps of reporting certain things online on certain platforms um, they're quite quick to respond to you but the reporting form doesn't always necessarily capture everything that you're trying to sort of put across um, I know obviously they're trying to do their best um, and make it automated and quite quickly and stuff but it's clear that those computers may miss bits um, so for me, I think if the networks are really truly caring about it, like like they should, it's the reporting side of it that needs to stop and change and make it easier for people to do that. Um, on the other bit, just like we've just been talking about, they need to listen. Like people are calling out for these changes on the platforms themselves, using the platforms to share that message. And the platforms should should listen really to people. Whether it goes beyond that in terms of government and laws and everything else, I'm, I'm not too sure. That's probably not my expertise, but everyone should feel safe on that platform. It's there for, for everyone's benefit. So the platforms themselves should be protecting those people that use it. Yeah, definitely. And just, just sort of going on to obviously one of the main properties that you work on at the FA, which is of course the FA Cup. What's your, what's your views in terms of the whole idea of is there still magic in the FA Cup? Because obviously you have to promote and engage people and entice them to sort of watch these games. Over the last couple of years we've seen big teams sort of um, push for having or playing youngsters within some of these games. We've seen some of the lesser sides almost write off the FA Cup games to prioritise relegation. Where do you stand on the whole argument of does magic still exist in the Cup? So I must admit, before I took the job, I wasn't a, I wasn't a keen follower of the FA Cup, mainly because West Ham never have a <laughs> never seemed to have a good run in it. 
I'm a Nate I'm a Nate is always horrible, like 2006. Uh, yes, yes. Let's oh, talk about that, that do we? No, no. Even though we've even replayed it a few times during COVID as well. Uh, um, it, <laughs> since taking taking a role at the FA and, and working on it, to me, the magic of the cup is definitely still there. Just like from the very early rounds, following it through, the stories, they're still there, they're still happening. Like it's just, I think it's just making sure we carve out that space in the footballing world for people to hear it and follow along. Yeah. And to me, it's one of the, it was the only cup competition in the world where every element of the football pyramid is in, is involved and you don't get those stories anywhere else like that that is that is it it's to, to me it's the most purest form of football mm. of watching those lower league clubs maybe have a, a giant killing moment and knocking out a bigger one you know Tranmere had a great come back and do you know what I mean just the stories are there and the magic is there I just think people may have just been a little bit blinded with other competitions as of late but yeah that's where I come in and making sure people see those stories yeah and before touching on all the other competitions that clubs prioritize um what's what's your sort of feeling in terms of because I think with the FA Cup obviously like for, for me, I support Arsenal, so it doesn't really start for me until the third round, whether that's going to the games or watching it on TV. How much of a struggle and how difficult is it for you to promote the first and the second rounds and the qualifying round of all the teams in the in, in the lower end of the, the, the English Premier Like, How difficult is it to actually engage people online to actually watch X team versus Y team in like the National League South or, 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 or whatever? I think the main element of it is um, I don't think people realise how big it is. The competition starts of you know it has over 700 teams in it. <laughs> I mean that is just huge. Where where do you even start with telling each of those club stories and how they've mapped all the way through? So the qualifying round is is a huge is a huge challenge. Um, of course, there's great moments that come out of that that we were more than happy to share. Um, when it gets to sort of the first round proper, it does become a bit easier. You've got places to point people to watch these games. And the idea is you just got to pinpoint, like help people tell that story. So give them a hero to support within the team. And, you know, this guy's been on fire, he scored this goal, this goal, what is he going to do this game? And sort of build up that sort of excitement. And you've just got to share a lot more context around those smaller teams that people may or not may not know of to help have that sort of increased enjoyment and they know then who they want to support and who they you know want to get behind um of course it does get easier with the third round um the bigger teams get involved but again i'll just go back to the, we're just sharing real pure footballing stories like mm. if you're a lover of football then these are the stories that you wanna you wanna get involved with and, and watch and pay attention to. Do you know what it is like with me? Because especially within like season one and this season as well, I'm quite romantic about the FA Cup. So obviously I've heard stories about like 
I think Klopp has advocated for scrapping replays. I've heard stories of scrapping the Carabao Cup to almost all the fixture congestion. And I had a Premier League club doctor on um, a few weeks back and sort of the conversations there in terms of like player fatigue and dealing with that. I think a lot of clubs wrongly disrespect the competition. And I believe that, like you've almost mentioned, it's the oldest cup competition within the world. And I think the stories and the giant killings, it, it almost sells itself. So the whole idea of like playing in a park-like stadium and like two teams that no one's ever heard of and then some guy scores a goal in the in the 91st minute and everyone's just going mad and they're jumping in the crowd. I think I think playing more in the history will almost get people more enticed into it. And I think in recent years the fact that although clubs do prioritise Europe um, and finishing in the top four, the fact that for instance this year we had four of the big six within the in the last four and the last few winners have actually been big six clubs. It does almost show that there is still an element of magic in the cup. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, this time, obviously, two both managers have played and won the mm. FA Cup. So I think it's always surprising me that clubs prioritise other competitions because when they then, when players and managers talk about when they have won the FA Cup or played in the FA Cup, they do speak about it so highly and so passionately mm. that I do wonder sometimes that maybe they also forget themselves what it's like to lift that cup at Wembley in front of the full 90,000 fans. Like, I think it's just one of those things that, that happens, obviously. Um, but that's, that's what we try to do is build on that tradition, um, that's long, the, the long history that we have of the cup. I mean, it's going into its, I think, is it 150 years next season? I mean, yeah, that is immense. Um, so yeah, so looking forward to, to getting started for next season, of course. And two, two controversial questions that people always throw out, and I'm throwing it out to you is, are you a believer with the whole idea of the semi-final at Wembley and the final at Wembley, or do you believe that we should go back to the old structure of when it used to be at Old Trafford and, and, um, and Aston Villa Stadium, or are you a fan of the current format? Because me personally, I like the whole idea of, okay, the final at Wembley, but for someone like me, I was at the uh, semi-finals back in 2014 when we beat Wigan on penalties, and for me, that's one of my best days ever as a football fan. Um, so that, the ability to go to Wembley and the fact that I couldn't get a, final, a ticket for the final still means a lot to me and I hold that that I was at Wembley and saw my team win there. So what's your sort of take on, on, on that whole, whole entire sort of debate? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I, when I first yeah started, I was also a bit puzzled why the, the semi-finals and were at Wembley along with the finals. But I think when you dig into it, you know, having that sort of neutral venue to bring the most equal fans to each team for a semi-finals. You get that day out as a fan, going to Wembley, and like anything can happen then. No one's got that high of advantage. It's purely based then on who is the better team. Plus, you get to play at Wembley. Yeah. Like, to me, it's just, to me, it's a winner, all-round winner, both semi-finals and then the final there as well. 
And the other one I wanted to pose to you as well was winning the FA Cup for, with, for West Ham or getting into Europe, which one which one would you would you prefer? FA Cup. FA Cup. We need to, we need to win some silverware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, to be fair, it has been a while. Winning. It's been like what, nineteen eighty something like that. Crazy. Yeah. And we've also never won the Premier League or the league football, top tier football. So yeah, we need some we need some new trophies. No, definitely. And just going on to the other property that you work on, which is the women's sort of super league, I, I generally think it's quite sad how especially in the time when people were actually hungry to to consume live sport that the league was cancelled. What's your sort of take and views on that, being someone especially like a, a woman, a woman in sport, somebody who's a leader within your field and, and the sort of stuff that you're doing, playing sport, working in sport. How did you sort of feel about obviously hearing the news that that, that, that was sort of cancelled? I must admit, I'm a bit conflicted as, as personally, it did feel a bit, a bit like a shame that we couldn't quite close out the season, especially as it's so close at the top. Like, it, it was going to be such a good ending to watch Chelsea, Man City and Arsenal really battle it out for not only winning the league, but also then those champion league places as well. So, I, personally, I really wanted to see how that played out and, and who got what. Um, but also see where I, where I am, where I work, I, I completely understand why and totally get that the longer term vision of making sure that next season can be at its best and at its fullest it did sort of need to be stopped sooner um, to then to, to allow us to do that so I do get it but I did kind of want to see that title fight play out that yeah. would have been amazing because it's a bit of a shame because especially off the back of the recent tournaments that England have done quite well in this could have really been a watershed moment for, for the women's game, especially like I support Arsenal and growing up we've obviously always had a really good women's team, especially probably even better than the, the men's team. So for me it was always like Thierry Henry, Kelly Smith. So um, the ability to just see the sort of talent that we've got coming through with um, Van der Donk and people like Vivian Medema um, and people like that, I think it would have been nice for people who've never ever seen women's football only watch it when it's the, the major tournaments to sort of engage with that. What do you, what do you think is needed for, for, for the game to almost grow and uh, become more commercialised, to almost hold hold weight like, um, like other successful um, women's sports? It's a tricky because there's not, there's not just one single thing that needs to happen. It's... It's a whole culture change for a start, I think would would massively help the game. I think there needs to be, but then specifically on football, there needs to be more help from the grassroots up. So making sure that we are getting girls into football and not just getting girls into football when they're nine, 10, but making sure that they're supported all the way through and know that they can become professional football players. Like that is a career path for those girls. And then the coaching, support staff all around that sort of grassroots football pyramid piece would also help. So that will help and obviously make 
players better. I mean, they're already amazing as is, but reaching that top bit. Um, I think a look at where we can show the women's game. Um, we sort of touched on it just with the men's game of how crowded it already is in terms of all the different tournaments and the leagues. And so you could just imagine how crowded the, the TV schedules are. Um, so getting creative where how we can show the, the game to the wider audience. I mean, the FA are doing a great job with the FA player where fans can watch all the games from the WSL and they're free. Um, but getting it on a TV so you can show it in a pub, mm. I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah, so yeah. it's like a, it's a full scale, every little bit needs to be improved. There's not just a one magic wand that will help improve the game. Um, it's there. And I, I even remember looking at it as a kid and we we're talking about this with friends and watching <laughs> the film Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in there, um, the only sort of value, like league you could go to it is America um, at the time. And now it's just so nice to know that you could just do it here, you know, in the UK, reach the pinnacle of, of women's football right here. Um, so, I mean, it's come a long way. It's still got a fair way to go. But yeah. No, it's definitely. Just, uh, and I think, I think, um, Stuff like, for instance, like I really like the whole idea of when they were playing the derby games at, at the at the men's stadium as well. So, for instance, um, Tottenham versus Arsenal, which thankfully we won um, at their ground actually, which is quite weird because Arsenal haven't won at Tottenham's ground for I think since Rosicky scored like six years ago. But they played the the derby at Tottenham's new stadium, which I think was really good, and I think the. I think the City and the United game will also play the Old Trafford, I think, one of those stadiums. So I think more stuff like that would be really good because that, that game drew in about 38,000 fans, which is absolutely huge and, um, and big as one. Well. I think stuff like more more like really successful teams in Europe setting up their own their own women's team. So Real Madrid just recently announced their own team. And it's almost like if you can have a basketball team, but your bread and butter is football, why not have a women's team? So um, I think more stuff like that would definitely, definitely help. Yeah, definitely. I know full well that a team are definitely working on getting more into the main stadia um, to do opportunities like that. We definitely had more planned <laughs> until uh, the corona virus hit. Um, I think you're right. I think that just thing opens it up and gives more opportunities for people to to go and watch the games and be a part of it and and really show you, you know, what how amazing these women are. Um, the one thing I've noticed is just how the, dip, the fans are different um, in the stadium, and it's a lot more open and celebratory around football, and more, you know, family-friendly fun and all that. And it's just, yeah, not sticking two fingers up at the away fans. Not quite that aggressive, <laughs> yeah, yeah. though. Um, of course, there's definitely good rivalries, as there yeah. always is. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just really nice to see that those opportunities are, are here and they're and they're being pushed forward. Um, so hopefully, we'll see more of that, especially when fans can get back into stadiums. For sure. No, definitely. But yeah, it's now time to reveal your answers to what the footy <laughs> are you lying for. So take it away, Charlotte. I'm so nervous. 
I'm currently tied at 6-6 by the way, so yeah. hopefully I can uh, go into the lead of this one. So, which one did you think was the lie? So the lie was you yawned hello at Gareth Southgate. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is a truth. Oh my goodness. And uh, Usain Bolt did not lend me his medals in Rio, unfortunately. So that would have been cool. <laughs> oh, I keep yeah, on getting completely the embarrassed. Wait, why did you? How did you yawn hello at Gareth Southgate? Because he did definitely get you by surprise. I, I was knew it. Out. I knew it as well. And I still got it wrong. Yeah. I still yeah. got it wrong. He was looking at his phone, and he was being. A lovely guy he is, and he uh, looked up and just said hello. And I was sort of mid yawn, and it's one of those moments where you don't realise who it is until you got too late. And I honestly just completely embarrassed myself. What but, was his reaction? <laughs> what was his reaction? Uh, no, just a smile and a hello. <laughs> he was quite chill about it, to be fair. Uh, so I'm currently losing 8 7. Next week, I've got to bring it. We always like to end the show on. Um, sort of the what the footy question which is what the footy needs to to change within your space so what what the footy would you like to see more of within social media would you like to see maybe less of or or yeah more definitely more women's football out there being talked about equally everyone sharing all the amazing goals and moments that do happen um and less Less of the nasty side of social that we do see. I think that would just make the world a bit nicer. Um, and if I could add one more, was West Ham winning some sort of silverware in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that would be nice, that would be nice. But Charlotte, absolute pleasure having you on here, deep diving into your world uh, within social media, speaking about how we can increase fan engagement and almost deep diving. and finding out more about the properties that you work on and um, guys if you love today's episode download subscribe rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend let's go what the footy what the footy what the footy what the footy knew some other guys liked me but i didn't know it was to that extent Imagine being a kid in primary school now supporting <laughs> powerful people and i think they need to recognize that but then also they need to be represented the right way sport in general is nothing without fans uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone that being the tv let's just win this to appease the fan Get ready to cheer on Team USA. Sign up for Xfinity Internet and get a Flex 4K streaming box free and Peacock Premium included. Can your internet do that? Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Peacock subscription required. Xfinity, proud partner of Team USA. Switching to GEICO is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, GEICO makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to GEICO, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. 
And you're better than that. Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea.